We begin this year, 2013, with the book of Exodus. This is the second Shabbat of the year and the second Shabbat of the book of Exodus, of Shemot. Last week in Shemot, the Torah portion that begins the Exodus story, it's describing the tribes, the 12 tribes that settled in the land of Egypt, and then describes the new Pharaoh who arose over the land who did not know, Jake, know Joseph, the subsequent slavery of all of the Israelite people, and finally, God's call to Moses from the burning bush. And in this description, God tells Moses what God will do for the people of Israel once Moses recognizes that the people are enslaved and that there has to be a divine redemption. So there are four verbs that are used in this week's Torah portion. And a lot of people ask, the number four, which is in the Seder, where does it come from? So what fours are there in the Seder? What's the first four? Four children, four cups, four questions. That's right. So there's a lot of fours in the Seder. The four, the number four, actually comes from this week's portion in Shemot Ba'era. And they come from these four words. God says in, in this chapter, I will take you out, Hotseti, from the burdens of Egypt. I will save you, Hitzalti, from their slavery. And I will redeem you, Ga'alti, with an outstretched arm and with mighty judgments. There are four different verbs that are used, and then there is one fifth verb that is used a little bit later because we know it's not just four cups. What's the last cup? The cup of Elijah. The fifth verb is a verb that is yet to be fulfilled. And God says, Veheveti, I will bring you to the land. But because it is not fulfilled in this portion, the commentators say that this is the cup of wine that we pour, but we don't drink as a compromise. So we get to drink the first four cups of Manischewitz, and then the fifth one, we What, Manischewitz is funny? Okay, we drink all four cups, but Elijah, Elijah we wait for. And when I was thinking about this Torah portion, it resonated for me because, first of all, as you know, Passover is next week. Have you noticed that Passover is in March this year? So I just, I'm, I'm giving you a little preemptive notice, Passover is around the corner. But what it always reminds me of, this idea of the fifth verb and the fifth cup that we're not allowed to drink, was the fact that as a child on my grandparents' table, the Seder always seemed to go on so long that somehow, miraculously, Elijah's cup would be halfway gone by the end of the meal. And some people say, oh, you must have been a really orthodox family because it could have taken, you know, eight, ten hours of a Seder. It evaporated. But as the eldest grandchild, what I knew was actually happening halfway through the Seder is that when everybody was looking for the afikomen, my atheist Uncle Alan would go over, he would take it, he would drink half of it, and he'd put it down. And I didn't want to spoil it for the younger grandchildren, but I thought to myself, like, really, you're wrecking the miracle of opening the door for Elijah and for everybody understanding that it had something to do with redemption. I didn't even know what redemption meant. I just knew there was something magical that happened in connection with Elijah. This went on every single year until finally one year when everybody was out looking for the afikomen, I thought, you know, it's my turn. And I was about 10 years old and I went and I drank almost the whole glass of Manischewitz and I put it back down. I had the best night that night. And when it came time to open the door and look at the cup of Elijah, I didn't get blamed because it happened every single year. Now, you'd think that I wouldn't have become a rabbi after that. 
that I would have said, you know, th this means nothing, there's no miracle, and it had to do with human intervention. But what actually happened is, I think somewhere in my subconscious, that created a way for me to understand that maybe there's room for the interpretation that somebody is supposed to go and drink out of Elijah's cup. And it doesn't matter who it is during the Seder, it just matters that somebody takes it upon themselves to be the Redeemer. And it's not this imaginary character, not the prophetic Elijah, but the reminder of my uncle who happened to be an atheist and then me who became a rabbi was that it really is up to us. We're the ones who are the key to redemption in the world. And so even though my uncle was an atheist and I became a rabbi, what I started realizing every year was actually we should pour a fifth cup, not just so everybody will enjoy themselves, but so that you can feel a part of the process of redeeming the world. Now I always think that the fact that we begin the year, the secular year, and we're reading the story of the Exodus is very interesting. Because as you know, just two weeks into the beginning of our secular year is the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was born on January 15, 1929. And next week we'll honor his memory here at the 7 o'clock service, and then we will go to the Third Baptist Church on Sunday for our pulpit exchange. It is also the birthday today, January 11th, of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And if you don't know who this is, you might know a picture of a rabbi and Dr. King marching arm in arm in the South for the civil rights movement. And that picture became a very iconic message of Jews and blacks working together. Heschel, like Dr. King, used Exodus imagery whenever he wrote about civil rights, and he used the image to rebuke white audiences at that time for their racism. American Jews, too, were Egyptians in Heschel's retelling. And exactly 50 years ago this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. and Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel met for the first time. And this is how Heschel opened his speech at the Conference on Race and Religion sponsored by the National Conference of Christians and Jews in Chicago. He said, at the first conference on race and religion, the main participants were Pharaoh and Moses. The outcome of that summit meeting has not come to an end. It was 3,000 years ago. Pharaoh is not ready to capitulate. The exodus began, but is far from having been completed. In fact, it was easier for the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea than for a Negro to cross certain university campuses today. And that was 50 years ago this weekend. This past week, rabbis from all over the West Coast, 200 of us, gathered in Palm Springs. You like my tent? All right. I got, I got back yesterday from the Pacific Association of Reform Rabbis. And one of the rabbis who was arrested, one of the 17 rabbis who were arrested in the South for marching during that time with Dr. King and with Abraham Joshua Heschel in Selma, was at the conference. His name is Rabbi Richard Levy. And he was there to speak to rabbis who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s about the movement, the modern movement for redemption. And he called upon us, and he really spoke personally to each of the 200 rabbis when he said, are you still yearning to drink from Elijah's cup? Now, when he said that, he was looking right at me. <laughs> and I thought, did like my grandmother somehow tell him at some point that I was the kid who drank from Elijah's cup? Because I mean, I'm not a narcissist, but I, I did feel like he was singling me out. He was talking to all the rabbis. Are we, as rabbis, all still yearning to somehow participate in redemption. Something that we learn about from 3,000 years ago. Tonight we said the Shema together, which is a prayer about listening. 
And in this story, in Vaera, two things happen. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and we learn that the reason for that is because he did not listen. And it said, Vehem lo shamu, which means first, the Israelites didn't believe redemption was possible, and then Pharaoh didn't believe that redemption was possible. So over and over again, we read from the word Shema, from listening, Pharaoh didn't listen, and the Israelites themselves couldn't even believe that there was going to be a redemption. And during that time, 20 different times in the Torah, we read that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. 10 times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and then 10 times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So you might think that it was God's fault, that you could blame God for Pharaoh's heart never being able to maybe soften, to look at the plight of the Israelites, to be able to help in the redemption. But one of the commentators, Nahama Leibowitz says, after Pharaoh looked upon the plight of the Egyptians, his own people, and realized that he was enslaving the Israelites, he hardened his own heart over and over and over again. And when it came time to be released, he had hardened his heart so much, there was no hope for him. So I want you to just take a moment and think about the beginning of this year and think about something that you have hardened your heart to or against already this year, something that you don't have compassion about. And think about the rest of this year if you're going to live that way with a little bit of hardness in your heart. Because what Nahama Leibowitz teaches us from the example of Pharaoh is that at a certain point, his heart was just heart. His heart was just hard. He couldn't, he couldn't see that compassion was necessary. So when we were in Palm Springs, Rabbi Levy asked us if we were to come together as a movement of liberal Jews all over California, and we were to think about ourselves bringing issues to our congregants. 200 rabbis, 200 congregations up and down the coast of California, if we realize and recognize that we're living in a broken time, a broken world, a broken country, how many people here, if I asked you to think of one way that California is broken, could you think of one thing that really needs to be fixed in California? Raise your hand. Okay, just say what that is right now. Okay, so you can imagine being in a room of 200 rabbis and having a rabbi ask that question. It went on for like 45 minutes the list of things, and I'll tell you, I heard a few things, but the, the list that these rabbis came up with, that we were given the responsibility to go back to our congregations and ask about, were these issues. And, and we're going to talk about these issues during this year, all throughout California, to figure out, is there a way for the reform movement to take some action to work on a little bit of redemption today on something that's broken? So these are the things that we brought up as issues. Immigration re reform, the Trust Act, domestic worker campaigns, public education, Proposition 13. How many people went to school before Proposition 13 in California? So you know what it was like and what it's like now. Uh, marriage equality, and then finally gun violence and safety. So those were the six issues that we came up with to start talking about this year in terms of utilizing the leverage that the liberal voice of Judaism in this state has. Now, obviously, it's not going to be easy to get every single Jew in California to agree on one issue. But we're rabbis. We're hopeful about this. And we're going to keep having these conversations about how do we drink from Elijah's cup together? How do we keep redeeming the place where we live? 
So finally, I want to give you the kind of the secret handshake of what God tells Moses at the beginning of the portion. In Shemot, God shows up for the first time and reveals God's self to Moses in what? In a burning bush. And God tells Moses, take off your shoes. The land that you're standing on is holy ground. So if you, t if you ask a preschool kid, what's the most important part about the burning bush? Most of the kids will say, Moses was barefoot in the story. He knew that it was sacred ground. When God calls out for the burning bush, Moses says, I can hear you. I can hear, and I'm listening, but I don't think the Israelites will. Who should I tell them sent me? And God said, come on, Moses, it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's the God of your ancestors. And Moses thinks, well, maybe the Israelites, these slaves, don't remember. And so Moses says, can you tell me your name so that I can tell the Israelites it's not just me, Moses the man, but God. And God says, yes, you can tell the Israelites that Eheyeh, Asher Eheyeh, has sent you. No translation. So most of the translations that we have say that what God's name is, is, and you might think this sounds like Popeye, but it's the original, I am what I am. I am what I am. Or I am what I'm becoming. And what I end with is that I think there's a lot of different ways to listen. Like Abraham Joshua Heschel, like Martin Luther King, and like any kid or adult who wants to start drinking another little bit of the redemptive wine during Pesach. Because I like to think about our responsibility to bring God into the world when I think about that name. And so the way that I would translate Eheyeh Asher Eheyeh is, God saying to Moses, tell the people of Israel, I will be what you will make of me. Shabbat Shalom.